So let's turn over to page 318.
296. <coughs> appreciate you being here. Pray that you've had a good week thus far in, in Jesus. Amen. Let me make a few announcements, then we'll take up our prayer list. Remember, this is the week that we begin our church fast together, and uh, we'll pray that you'll enter in with us and, and join in with us on this, this uh, seeking the Lord through prayer and fasting. There's a, I mentioned some things Sunday night that we really want to pray for. And uh, ask that you help us to seek the Lord on that, on those needs. And also, uh, what we do, just to let you know, is we begin tomorrow at lunchtime. will be our last meal together, wh wherever you're at, whatever you eat. If you're going to join the fast with us, let that be your last meal. And, uh, and then you'll enter into the fast with us, either a full fast, partial fast, or whatever type of fast you can enter in with us. And then uh, we fast until Sunday, and the church is catering in some barbecue, and we ask everybody to bring something that'll go along with barbecue, and we'll break our fast together. And also remember, there will be no Sunday school. We will, I'll be sending out a phone message about all of this, but uh, we, there will be no Sunday school. We'll begin Sunday morning at 1045. And then break our fast together right after morning service. Also, remember this coming Saturday at 2 o'clock, we'll be meeting down here at the church and going out on church visitation. So 
Help us in these endeavors to really seek the Lord during this time of, of fasting as a church. Um, as far as our prayer requests go, if you do, if you see Miss Debbie tonight, tell her happy birthday. Today is her birthday, and be sure to tell her that. Uh, we need to continue praying for Carolyn Watkins. Sister Peggy Phillips went home. Praise the Lord for that. Dave Weeks, Jerry Nye, Janet Dodd, all of the Florida residents, uh, Matt Harrell, Hannah Hurd, Judy Pittman, Mike Thorny, uh, Randy Brooks, Zoe, and, uh, and we're going to start something back that we used to do every month. Um, the Lord laid it on my heart uh, to start praying for a particular pastor and his church every month. And this month we'll be praying for Brother Ken Anderson. So let's hold Brother Ken and his flock up that God had blessed them in a special way. And we'll do that all this month. Next month we'll, we'll pray for another pastor and their, their church. So... Remember Brother Ken Anderson and, and his people uh, all of this month when you pray. How about your prayer request tonight? Anybody? Yes, ma'am. Barbara Hale. Okay. Anyone else tonight? Kevin Chapman. Yeah, Kevin. That's Julie's brother. Had a heart attack and had three stents put in, right? Yeah. Anyone else tonight? Anything else on your hearts tonight? Anyone else? All right. Here it is, Wednesday night prayer meeting, and the Lord said, All unto me, and I will answer thee. And I believe that from the depths of my heart. I've experienced him answering prayer, and I know you have. And we have as a church body of people. We've seen God answer prayer time and time and time again. And uh, all of us have been affected by prayer. So as she plays something tonight, let's all gather around these altars. Let's pray together. Your study sheets is here. If you have any missions offering, you can bring it at this time and put in the plates. But let's really pray tonight.
forgive me tonight. I'm a bit discombobulated. Is that how you say it? I'm so discombobulated I can't even pronounce the word right. Amen. It is good to see Miss Debbie's had me partying all day, celebrating her birthday. She's 35 today and getting younger and younger. Amen. I better say something like that. All right. You'll take your study sheets together tonight. And uh, if you need one, you come on up. Huh? Did I get it? I'm so sorry. I tell you, I'm, I'm ruined tonight. My wife don't have a birthday every day. Thank the Lord. Amen. It has really gotten into my pocketbook. And, mm, you men know about all of that, don't you? Amen. Amen. I better, I better hush, hadn't I? Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to finish up Acts chapter 2 tonight. And uh, Acts chapter 1 was the goodbye of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, I've got uh, noted in my Bible. I've just kind of outlined each chapter. Acts chapter 1 is the goodbye of Jesus. Acts chapter 2 is the godsend of the Holy Ghost. And now the world will never be the same. And the, the church has begun and been established in the world. They began in Jerusalem, turned Jerusalem upside down and began spreading out all over the world. And here we sit tonight because of what happened in Acts chapter number 2. But we want to finish up Acts chapter 2 tonight. It ends with a great revival. And we'll look at that in just a moment in the Word of God. And, uh, but let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will, we, will have our, we will go through our study sheets together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much, and thank you for being the God that you are. And Lord, to be here tonight, Lord, what a privilege and honor it is to be with these dear people, Lord, those that have gone through things all this week and labored and worked, and here they sit tonight. And Lord, they're looking to you, asking you, Lord, to feed their souls and spirits. And I'm asking God that you would do exactly that. Lord, I cannot do a thing for them, Lord, other than, Lord, you help me. So I'm calling upon the mighty name of Jesus Christ, asking God for your help, that you please mightily, Lord, use me tonight. And God, that you please pour out of your spirit upon every one of us, Lord, please. Lord, all these prayer requests that we've named tonight and heard read, I'm asking God that in a special way that you'd move on their behalf. I supplicate for them, Lord, asking for the supply that they need in their lives. God, you know exactly what they need. And we're asking you, God, to please, Lord, fulfill their needs. And Father, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Let's look at our study sheets together. We'll go through this and finish up Acts chapter 2 tonight. There are a lot of firsts revealed and realized in Acts chapter number 2. The church has been birthed into existence and his first message has been preached by his first messenger and the first invitation has been presented. The first converts are added to the church and it produced the first Christian revival in Jerusalem. The events unfolding in this amazing chapter are exciting to anyone interested in church history. <clears throat> the religion of Judaism 
has been observing its feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And by the way, there tonight, this very day is the is the highest holy day of a Jewish year. And uh, they're observing a, a special feast and it's the Day of Atonement, they call it. And it's the time when, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And this is the day, the 10th day on a Jewish calendar. And uh, they're observing that feast as we sit here tonight. The religion of Judaism has been observing his feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. But God has been working mightily among the attendees of this feast, convicting and convincing some of them that his son, Jesus Christ, is their longed-for Messiah. And they're experiencing the new birth of the Spirit of God. This new thing is going to be noised abroad and many will believe in Jesus daily. People got saved and baptized and the church of Jesus Christ began through preaching. A lot is going on in the name of Jesus Christ. But many will become exceedingly mad against this movement. The first wave of opposition will soon surface in an attempt to stop what God is doing. And it will come from the very ones who claim to know God and those who adhere to the law. During this first invitation, Peter appeals to the mass of people before him. And about 3,000 people begin their new life in Jesus. The invitation given by Peter was con has confused many. And it is necessary for us to rightly divide the word of truth and understand what is happening. We want to consider out of Acts 2.38 a verse greatly misunderstood and greatly misapplied even today and where it says this and then Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost the issue of baptism has surfaced in Acts 2 38 and from this text it is seen by many as the means and message of salvation. Several problems occur throughout the rest of the book of Acts and the entire Bible when one adopts that form of belief. If baptism is necessary for salvation, as some suppose, why do other scriptures contradict that teaching? Here are some examples just from the book of Acts. In Acts 8, verses 12 and 13, we read these words. And when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. In these verses, they believed first and then were baptized. And then in verse 14 and 16 of that same chapter, it said, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
This group of Samaritans had received the word of God and they also had been baptized, but none of them received the Holy Ghost. We know this group was not saved because if someone does not have the Spirit of God, they are not saved according to Romans 8, 9. If baptism is the means of salvation, why weren't these people saved? Then in verses 35 through 37, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scriptures and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Philip preached Jesus, not baptism, under this eunuch. After he is saved, the eunuch wants to be baptized. And Philip tells him that if he truly believes in Jesus Christ, he certainly could be baptized. Also, this is interesting to understand, Philip uses Isaiah 53 as his text to preach about Jesus, and baptism is not mentioned in that chapter. We go into Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. It says this, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. This group of Gentiles received the Holy Ghost before they were baptized. Then in chapter 16, it says, And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them of the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And he was baptized, he and all his, straightway. The Philippian jailer <clears throat> asked what he needed to do to be saved. And again, baptism is not mentioned by Paul or Silas. Once he believes, then he is baptized. These verses cited from the book of Acts makes it clear that something was changing as the message of salvation was carried into the world. The message began with Jews in Jerusalem who were accustomed to the preaching of John the Baptist. Baptism was included in the message, not as a means of salvation, but as a means of proving the Jews had believed in Jesus. Also, it is important to note that before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he gave his disciples specific instructions concerning baptism. You remember from Matthew chapter 28, Verse 19, Jesus told them this, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. 
But when they first presented the idea of baptism to these Jews in Acts 2, it was only in the name of Jesus Christ. This was a very big issue among the Jewish nation because they had rejected Jesus as their Messiah. For a Jewish person to be baptized in the name of Jesus was an open admission that they believed Jesus was not only their personal Messiah, but also the Jew of the Jewish nation. The message of salvation transitions or it changes throughout the book of Acts. To some, an element of works became necessary to be saved. And some Jews even began including circumcision and the law in the message of salvation. We read, we read about that in Acts 15. It says this, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Look at what they're preaching now. Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Then Acts 15, 5. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. In the history of the early church, there's a lot of confusion, and the message of salvation needed clarity. Remember, the early church does not have a completed Bible, and the message is being learned by word of mouth only. It is also spreading rapidly and being proclaimed by many different people. The question of, how does a person, Jew or Gentile, get saved needs to be settled. In Acts 15, a council was assembled in Jerusalem to settle the matter once and for all. And we read about this in verses 6 through 11. It said, and the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, Ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and what? Not but get baptized, but believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts. How? By faith. Now therefore why tempt ye God. To put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples. Which neither our fathers. Nor we. Were able to bear. And here it is. This is the official proclamation. Of the early church. Of what is the gospel. But we believe. That through the grace. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall be saved even as they. Notice there is no addition of works included in the message. The hearts of the Gentiles were purified by faith, not baptism, not circumcision, nor the law. The presentation of the gospel message is twofold. On man's part, it is hearing the message and believing the message by faith. Once someone does that, then God's part is to save them by grace. Once it is clarified in Acts 15, this simple message will be proclaimed through the rest of the church age. 
And we read about it in, Acts, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, where it says this, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is sad, but even today, there are still those who will include an element of works in the presentation of the gospel message, such as baptism, church membership, or keeping the law. This is so prevalent today that many people who are asked if they are saved will respond by citing the fact that they were baptized at some point in their life. And I'm sure a lot of you have run into that. Are you saved? You may ask somebody and they say, oh yeah, I was baptized when I was such and such an age. Baptism doesn't save anybody. That is not the issue between God and man. Baptism is not the issue. It is our sins. And that's why we must repent and believe the gospel message. There's still so much confusion concerning salvation today. That is why it is so very important that the gospel is understood and clearly presented. Peter encourages the crowd before him to save themselves from this untoward generation. In verse 40, the word untoward is defined as meaning wart, crooked. No, it's, it's explaining the same generation we're living in today. Wart, crooked, not easily guided or taught, unmanageable. Jesus used very descriptive language describing the generation the early church had to contend, contend with. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, this is the words of Jesus now. And he says this, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. In Matthew 16, 4, Jesus said this, a wicked an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Then in Matthew 17, 17, Jesus said this, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Matthew 23, 33. How would you like to be sitting up under Jesus as a preacher? Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? No wonder they crucified him. Then in Mark 8, verse 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The days of the early church were not unlike the days in which we are presently living. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, every generation has those who will not follow the ways of God. It is the duty of every Christian in every generation to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered for the saints and oppose the spirit of the wicked generation around them. Now we want to look at the revival that began. In verses 41 through 47 of Acts 2, it reads like this. 
Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Man, what a revival. What a revival. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in prayers, uh, one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The message preached by Simon Peter was used mightily by God. About 3,000 souls were saved and joined the ranks of the early church. What a revival. That is how the early church began with a revival. There are several distinguishing marks about this revival in Jerusalem. Number one, we want to consider the word received. These new converts had gladly received the word of God. They eagerly and joyfully listened and received the preaching of the word of God. That is how revival begins with the word of God. It does not matter how eloquent or proficient a preacher may be. If the congregants do not allow the word of God its rightful place in their hearts, all the singing Preaching and mechanics of meetings will do nothing to produce true revival. Revival always begins when the word of God is gladly received. They heard a man preach. They trusted it to be a message from God and they gladly received the message. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13, I love this verse of scripture. Paul wrote these words. He said, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us. See the word of God. They heard the word of God, but they received it from a man. You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. This book will work in anybody's life. This word of God will change anybody's life if they allow it to work. It takes faith to listen to a man preach and believe that the words spoken are God's message. That is what happened in our text. And it is also what caused the revival of Jonah's day. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, you remember Jonah's mad. Jonah don't even want to go into Nineveh. He ran from God and God had to come to him the second time and convince him through him being swallowed in a, in a whale's mouth. And God had to convince him to go preach the word. And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Look at this reaction. So the people of Nineveh, a man preached now. So the people of Nineveh did what? Believe the man? No, they believed God. They believed God and proclaimed a fast. 
and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. And look what God did. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do to them and he did it not. When any group of people will believe the message that God sends through his messenger, revival is possible. Can I get an amen right there? Amen. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You've got to mix preaching with faith. Second thing about this revival we want to consider is the steadfast continuance. What began did not shortly end. <clears throat> the revival among these early converts continued. It was not a one-time event for them. There are a lot of professions made today without any lasting results. They come for one meeting, go to an altar, claim deliverance of some kind, and you never see them again. That is not revival, nor is it salvation. The work that God begins in someone's life will surely continue. In Philippians 1.6, the Word of God says it like this, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I got saved in 1982. And a week after that glorious night, I knew that it was real. I called my mother to tell her the good news. I just knew she would shout and carry on and congratulate me and thank Jesus. But that was not her response at all. I told her I'd gotten saved and her response was, we will see. At the time, I was a little deflated, but as I've grown in the Lord, I understand the truth of that statement. If someone is truly saved, others will know it without them wearing a uh, Jesus t-shirt. The evidence of salvation is real and very fruitful toward God in every child of God's life. These converts continued steadfastly in doctrine, fellowship with one another, and they prayed together. Now we want to consider another element of this revival in Jerusalem, the fear of God. The text says, And fear came upon every soul. This fear was not only manifested among the new converts, but it was also upon every soul, which included everyone in the area. That is one of the marks of a true heaven-sent revival. Not only will it affect those attending the meeting, but the surrounding area will see a renewed fear of God. And that is the kind of revival needed today. Can I get a witness right there? Not just a revival that affects the church, but one which will also produce a fear of God in the communities and cities around the churches. Proverbs 16, 6, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and watch this, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. 
That's how you know there's not much fear of God today because of the sin abounding around us today. Another element of this revival was sacrificial giving. The people in Jerusalem were willing to sell their possessions and goods and give the proceeds for the needs of others. It was a sacrifice to do such, and this practice continued for a good while in the early church. Later in the book of Acts, in Acts 4, verses 34 and 35, we read this account of it. It said, Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. This was sacrificial giving. It went beyond tithing. These were not yard sale items they were selling. They were selling houses they owned and their lands. This probably was extra property owned by individuals because if they sold themselves out of a place to live, then they would have also had a need. Then another element of the revival in Jerusalem is the worship of God. The Bible says this. It said they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The praise of God that resulted in these converts was touching the hearts of people living around that area. Everywhere they went, they were praising God and the people of Jerusalem was noticing how happy these converts were. Do people see you enjoying being saved? The people around you, people that you work with, people in your family, people that you're acquainted with, do they see the joy of the Lord in your life? The Bible says that joy of the Lord is our strength. That is the strength of a church. That's the strength in us that other lost people need to say, see. They were noticing how happy these converts were. The revival was spreading. God gave them favor with the people and the church was being built with new converts on a daily basis. This is how the church of Jesus Christ began. It would be wonderful if the church of the latter days would end this way. And it is possible, but it will begin when God's people receive the word of God with gladness again. Man, what a revival they had. I would have loved to have been there in that day and saw what all God was doing in Acts chapter 2. We should, we should set this as a pattern for every one of us in this, in this church. That that's the kind of revival I want to see again. And God, I want you to begin it with me. Begin it right here. Don't begin it with Brother John. Don't begin it with, with Brother Terry. Don't begin it with the choir. God, begin it right here. Let this revival begin in my heart. Can I get a witness right there? Amen. That finishes up Acts chapter 2. We'll go into Acts 3 uh, next time. So I say amen and amen. What an inspiration.